That's what she said. Episode 1.0. Gay Witch Hunt. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go I just came from your place Yes, welcome to the first official episode of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. I am your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the first episode of Season 3, titled Gay Witch Hunt, which aired September 21st, 2006. Wow, what can I say about this? Lots of information, lots of stuff to cover, lots of developments, lots of changes, lots of what we love about The Office. So let us go ahead without any further ado and kick it right off with the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for... Maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? Okay, and uh, I'm joined here today by our new junior sales associate, Ian Castleberry. Ian, uh, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, Matt. Thanks for uh, asking me over. Well, you know, we got to have the, the young guys get in here and get some experience. But um, let me just throw it out to you, man. First episode of the third season on Thursday. What'd you think? Well, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was... Uh, much needed laughs. <laughs> I've never laughed more at two men kissing. I don't know. Should, is, is, is it too early to get into that already? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Come on now. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was a really fun episode. Um, I know, uh, well, you feel a little differently, though, don't you? Well, you know what? i got to say, like on my after my initial watch, I was pretty disturbed. I was kind of disappointed in the show. Um, I don't know if it was just because... The build-up was so big that I just couldn't, um, you know, it, it didn't live up to what I, I guess my expectations. And I thought the show was really just really dark overall. And, um, and yeah, I can definitely see that. And it was kind of, you know, it was, it was really grim because there was a lot of kind of sad, depressing things that were happening in the episode. But um, after watching it a few more times, I, I do have to say that I, I think I'm growing to like it a little bit more than... I did initially. It's still not ranking up there in my top episodes, but I do have to say that, uh, you know, uh, not bad. We had a lot of balls in the air, uh, for one Definitely. thing. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> with uh, all the different plot threads. So let's just go down some of these things. Um, first off, uh, how did Dwight react to the whole mess? Jim is gone. He's gone. I miss him so much. Oh, I cry myself to sleep, Jim. False. I do not miss him. Well, for one thing, I gotta say I do. I do miss him. Um, one of the things that I that I didn't like so much about the office originally was that 
and I said this before on my blog page, but you know, you know that first year you you go away to college and then you come back for the summer and it's like you hook up with your old high school friends, but things just aren't quite the same. Like you've grown, they've grown, things are a little bit different. You don't have that, you know, it's kind of like this weird awkward awkward feeling about uh, about what's going on and that's kind of what I had with this episode because so much is different. I mean, Jim is gone off in the other office uh, and 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 those cast of characters there. Um our usual gang in, in our office, we just had uh you know, pretty funny situation, you know, obviously Michael at his inept you know, his total ineptness. What do you think about that? What do you think about Jim being gone and everything being changed? Well, first of all, uh, I hope some of my high school friends are listening to this, so uh, I didn't feel that way about you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I uh, it, it was a weird feeling uh, not having Jim there, um, but it, it didn't, you know, it's not like they had somebody completely new at his desk or something. You know, I was a little, when I heard Ed Helms was going to be on the show, for instance, that was kind of one of my fears, thinking that maybe he would replace Jim in Scranton. Yeah, the news items that I read over the summer, I don't know if I read them wrong or not, but they were saying that he was supposed to be an employee in the Scranton office, and that was kind of what I was wondering how he was going to fit in there. But, um, but yeah, he's actually one of the cast of the Stamford office uh, where Jim has moved. Uh, got a promotion, he says, supposedly, and we don't know exactly what his promotion entails. He has to wear a, a jacket. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. His his new details are that he has to wear a suit, a uh, full three-piece suit to work. And let's just, before we get into talking about what happens with our usual gang in uh, the Scranton office and the main plot for this episode, let's just talk about what happened, what's going on in that new Stanford office. Because basically so far we have, you know, it, it's a whole nother show. I mean, it's a whole other cast just as large as the original that are that's filling out this office. Uh, it, it's kind of like on Seinfeld, you know, like the bizarro Seinfeld gang in that one episode. Yeah, Stanford is Reggie's, right? Yeah, or and they also had the, you know, the way they had the fake, uh, fake Jerry, the fake George, the fake Kramer, all that stuff. This is kind of the same thing. Like Jim is, uh, he's joined the, the, the bizarro office cast. And so far we have... Uh, Again, uh, a female who we've been told is supposed to be his his maybe love interest in the new office, played by Rashida Jones. And I have, again, no idea what her character name is because I don't think for the life of me that they said it actually on the uh, show. We tried to find it before the show. Yeah, IMDB, you are weak. That's all I yeah. can say. You did not come through for us. NBC.com not helping either. <laughs> but uh, So she's a Get mystery. That, guys. She's a mystery to the cast. Uh Obviously, she's going to play a role. She had a, a talking head just right off the bat, uh, making fun of Jim and his looks, his googly-eyed faces to the camera. Uh, can we talk about that a little bit? Uh, I mean, do you think that was a? Uh, do you think Jim does look at the camera too much? I know we're kind of getting off subject here, but well, no, it's fine. I mean, because I, I, I was thinking about that too. I wasn't sure if I necessarily thought it was a great idea to kind of point point it out. It was almost sort of like. Um, I know. Well, it's a documentary, and they're talking to the camera, so it's already kind of breaking the fourth wall. But it was almost like it. Uh, it was sort of like acknowledging the man behind the curtain that uh, that Jim always does this. And and part of the thing I was wondering about is in this new office. I mean, is he just trying too hard to kind of recapture the old office? Um, you know, is he trying just kind of like to ham it up 
a little too much to to get involved in 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 pranks and things with his new office mates where it's I think not so necessarily yeah. warranted you know he talked about the fact that uh after Michael and Dwight called him asking about Gadar you know right after he got the phone he uh admitted that he missed that so from there it seemed like yeah he was trying to recreate um the atmosphere you know with uh, putting Andy's calculator in jello <laughs> um, yeah, which was rather a disturbing scene. Now, let's talk about that. Um, the other main character that we have involved in Jim's time in the Stanford office is his uh, desk neighbor, a guy by the name of Andy, who's played by Ed Helms. And um, he is, on my estimation, basically kind of like a weird, bizarro mix of Michael and Dwight kind of rolled together because he's mm-hmm. kind of a dick. And he's kind of annoying, and he has kind of Michael's air of superiority. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> he's amazing. But let's uh, let, let's let Andy to talk about himself and, and describe what he thinks about Jim. Big Tuna is a super ambitious guy. You know, cut your throat to get ahead type of guy. But, I mean, I'm not threatened by him. I went to Cornell. You ever heard of it? I graduated in four years. I never studied once. I was drunk the whole time, and I sang in the a cappella group, Here Comes Treble. <laughs> that freaking kills me every time I hear that. That's one of the best lines of the whole show, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a sucker for uh, just wacky like puns. barbershop quartet names or crazy singing group names. So anyway, yeah, so uh, what do you make of that? Obviously, Jim in the Stanford office it has a very different reputation than one we've ever seen for the last two years. So a cut your throat, get ahead kind of guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be interesting to see what uh, the chatter about him was before he got got to that office. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously he was uh, a, a big well number two or something. No, was he? The, the Dwight's speech episode, I think they said he was number nine or something of the salesman <laughs> on the list, and he won a French bread pizza or something for his prize. But um, but anyway... Now, so- how did that... Um, I'm going to give away something here that I, I, I'm not as caught up on the show as I should be, but um, how... Did he approach Jan about the promotion? Did Jan approach him? Well, this is kind of what happened... Um, during last season, we had a, an incident where, and this is during the um, conflict resolution episode, pretty much where Dwight had been sending these supposedly the memos to the the secret file in in New York, talking about Jim's malfeasance, and it came out that Toby had just put them in a box, and when Dwight found that out, he was he went into a rage and and basically said that one of them had to go, that either Jim left or he was going to leave, mm-hmm. and Michael had to make a decision. And it got to kind of the point where um, where Dwight was like, oh, you know, here, there's a great opening in the other office. You know, you should really take that job. And Jim, you know, was at that point seriously thinking about it because, you know, that whole episode we had him uh, talking about how all these pranks and things that he'd pulled on Dwight and as he said, you know, you put these all in a row and they're not really that funny anymore. Mm-hmm. And he sort of started to feel that his life was pathetic and that he was, you know, what the hell is he doing? And, you know, Pam is getting married and, you know, what was the point? 
of of being there and so he we did see in an episode i'm not sure if it was that same episode but he um he then went to new york to have an interview with the for uh for the position and then okay. during, during the casino night episode when jim and, and jan were out by their car she made reference to you know did you tell anyone about about the job and he said no and I think obviously at that point he was trying to, you know, he was going to wait and see what happened because he had to make his big move, uh, his, you know, his his one grand gesture and, and reveal his feelings to Pam before he made any decisions. Right. And so what happened then, as we find out in this new episode, that, uh, you know, after the kiss on casino night, basically Pam broke it off and just kind of said, you know, we can't, I'm going to go through with the wedding and... And they parted. Now, we were talking about this before as far as what kind of time frame that we thought had passed between these two episodes. Um, and what was it that we figured out? Well, it had to be, we thought it had to be at least three months, right? Right. And that was based on the uh, deleted scene that we got on the NBC website where Michael was talking about him and uh, his relationship with Carol that he'd seen her th- uh, seven times in three months. Right. I guess. So. Uh, we're, that's kind of how we're seeing this time thing here between Casino Night and the first new episode. Uh, about three months where uh, Pam told Jim that she was still going to marry Roy. So Jim took the job. Jim left. After Jim left, then we had Pam making the decision to back out of the wedding anyway, uh, breaking up with, with Roy. And that's kind of where we are at this point. Um Man, what, I know you love this, but that that freaking mugshot of of Roy from the DUI that was like the scariest, most ridiculous thing I had ever seen in my life. I, I thought it was hilarious, especially like, the first time I saw it. Oh man, that was just like it was like Nick Nolte or whatever. Any worst, like the worst mugshot you could ever imagine. And at the time when I was watching it the first time, I just saw that and I was like, oh my god, that is so dark and just like so depressing. <laughs> to I me, could, it was a comment on on pop culture, though. Because every time there's a bad celebrity arrest now, you, you almost expect to see the mugshot, and they're always terrible. You know, they always look somehow puffy or bloated or tired or beat up or defiant somehow. So that just seemed to me, it seemed perfect. Just that quick flash. But you're right. Yeah, if you were to pause the mugshot and look <laughs> at it. It looks terrible. You know, he looks like 50 pounds heavier. I think one of his eyes is almost bloody or something like that. Yeah, it looks awful. It looks really bad. And I was, I'm was i actually tempted to put that up as the iTunes album art for this episode. But <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, oh, that could be your avatar on your blog. <laughs> oh, that's scary. But, uh, but let's talk about that then, too, because we don't, uh, far from having it be now a one-horse race between Jim and Pam... Uh, Roy, even though he's been dumped and been broken up, he he made a resolution uh, to the camera that you know he's back. He's not going to take Pam for granted anymore. He wants her back, and he's going to try his best to do that. Now, do you think they just threw that in there so it wasn't uh, just kind of like a lock that oh, of course that Jim and Pam are going to get together? Maybe, yeah, to to keep the triangle open, you know, try and make uh, Roy maybe a little more sympathetic. You know, I can't imagine anyone rooting for that, but you know, after hearing that line, maybe. Well, that's um, true. After I mean, after all last season, it was, uh, you know, he was no no one 
was of the opinion that they should stay together. I mean, I don't, I don't right. know who could be. Um, ever since we found out, you know, <laughs> that uh, at one point in their dating history, he had left her at a minor league hockey game or something. <laughs> and she was talking, they were talking about worst first dates or worst dates or something like that. So yeah, they did their best all last season to pretty much show how Roy was a jerk and a creep. And he, uh, dissuaded her from going into the artistic, uh, internship program for Dunder Mifflin and some other things. So it would be interesting to see maybe just, you know, cause the whole, throughout the whole history of the show, Roy's always been one of those, you know, how could she possibly be with him? Mm-hmm. You know, what does she see in him? So if we get maybe a hint of that, you know, this season, um, you know, the triangle might be a little more believable. Triangle because again, and if to, if to be believed, it'll be a rectangle, possibly. Oh. With Rashida Jones' character being involved. As long as it's not like a rhombus or anything <laughs> like that, that would... Well, you never know. Uh, we'll just have to see how it shakes down. Um, some people apparently, based on the uh, comments and, and things I read, were envisioning some kind of Pam Ryan thing at the beginning of the episode. And I just have to chalk that up to the fact that, just like in episodes past, when Jim has been absent or where Pam has been absent, that the two of them just, they're constantly, they're so used to looking up and, and, and looking at the other person and, and seeing what's going on that, uh, you know, it's just natural. It has nothing to do with the fact that uh, Pam likes Ryan. It's just that Ryan is in Jim's desk. Ryan's in Jim's chair at the meeting. Um, so he'll be kind of forced into the gym role, whether he likes it or not. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Because I, I, that's the thing. That was kind of the point of this episode, I think, for me, was that they... All these things that existed in the Scranton office, like just the way that life was, the realities, the way that everyone interacted was, it could only exist in that office. Um, You know, Jim and Pam's laughing at things in the meetings was something just between them. You know, Mm -hmm. in in the meeting when Pam, uh, when Michael says this. We're all homos. Homo sapiens. uh, her, Her first reaction is to turn to... Ryan and laugh. Yep. Uh, but Ryan's reaction is like, what? Yeah, he's clueless. What are you talking about? He's not in on the joke. I mean, he's not part of that. He, I don't think he's ever going to take that, you know, take that place of, of Jim in the office because he just doesn't have it in him to be that that kind of person. You know, he's his own person and and he's different. And it's the same thing with in the uh, in the Stanford office because Jim sort of like forces the the gag on Andy as you said before you know he he puts his calculator in in Jello uh, and I don't know if that was just kind of a for, a forced attempt to uh, rekindle some of that old magic but it obviously does not go the way that he plans it to go I think that's exactly what it was I think he was trying to create a new Dwight and I mean Andy is kind of an annoying jerk uh, to a certain degree. But, uh, you know, part of what I, and I was talking about this previously, it seemed really weird. Like you said, it seemed really forced. And I don't know if Jim was doing that for the camera or if he was doing that just for himself to kind of try to try to make a, a more familiar atmosphere. But I always had the impression that, you know, in the original office that, that Jim was hired and that Dwight was hired and that Dwight just was, he Dwight was just so annoying that Jim mm-hmm. just felt like he had to do something back 
And that's where this whole rivalry kind of came from, that just because Dwight was so annoying over such a long period of time that it built up these kind of pranks, you know. Um, it seemed a little weird to me that, that Jim would do that to some guy he barely knew uh, at this point in the show. And obviously uh, his reaction, you know, Andy's reaction was a little bit different than Dwight's kind of, uh, you know, passive response. He pretty much flipped out. I don't know. What what do you make of that uh, that little tantrum that we got there? Oh, that's a good question. You know, obviously he's not a guy to be messed with. Um, <laughs> a couple of anger management issues. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that manifests itself later on in, in uh, subsequent episodes. Well, that's definitely true. Um, I I don't know. I you know I don't I just don't know really what to think about that new office yet because like I said, it just almost seems like it's going to be. It seems like it's too much, too soon, with all these different characters, all these different people. Because. Uh, I went to the NBC website the other day after the premiere to the, um, they had a blog, a live blog from Greg Daniels. And some of the things that he talked about as far as um, the show, as far as the cast size, because someone asked him about that. And he said, yes, the cast size is getting enormous. I think they're not as large as the characters on The Simpsons, but nearly. I think it's fun to get to know so many personalities. Most shows don't do it for money reasons, but because we overshoot by so much, it's a little bit of a struggle to get on the air. And I hope that means that we're always putting on funny stuff and not just servicing the characters. Now, obviously it's his show, and he's the writer of the show, and I love him. I love the first two seasons. I love his King of the Hill. I love his Simpsons We should establish work. that you love him heterosexually, right, given the theme <laughs> of uh, this week's episode? Well, um, that's what Oh, okay, all right. Well... <laughs> Anyway, um, I mean, I love his work, but, you know, again, but one thing that I loved about The Office, especially in the, in the second season, was that we have a pretty large cast, as it is, and it was fun to just get to learn things about those characters, get to learn a little bit more about those characters. I didn't feel at all like we had run out of ideas, as far as just the, the main Office characters. Um I mean, even like last season, we started seeing other guys kind of come up a little bit. Like we got to see Daryl get more of a kind of main character, get his own talking heads. We got to see Creed, you know, with his crazy lines and come come into the foreground in the second season a little bit. And, you know, and again, I don't know. I don't really want the show to be like The Simpsons where there's 50 characters where, um, you know, we might not see a Meredith line for three or four weeks like this episode this whole episode we got uh on thursday we had one thing having to do with meredith and it was it goes in the the, the you know wtf file for me e- eating licking hand sanitizer that was her big contribution to that episode which yeah i didn't know the significance of until uh the next day on the internet you know people clearing up uh, or reminding me that she was an alcoholic. Yeah, like, I don't know how far rock bottom you have to hit to get to that point, but... Um, I mean, that stuff has to taste nasty. It <laughs> smells nasty. I, you know, th- that's the kind of thing I, that I'm worried about, is that when you start... When uh, all you get of a character is just kind of like a very brief scene every episode, it's hard to develop that character. And she's kind of gotten the, the shaft all last season, and this season obviously from the first episode as well. So, you know, all we know about her is that she's a single mother and that she's a drunk. 
And so I'm hoping that we get a little bit more from her. But <laughs> the way things look, uh, you know, with with all these extra characters being put into the mix, you know, I don't know really what that's going to mean. And you and I were kind of talking about this before, too, that is this going to be a permanent thing that's going to go through the whole third season? Or is this only going to be right. something that that happens for, you know, the first five, six episodes? So I, I don't know. Yeah, what that's, the, that's the question. You know, how long is Jim going to be in Stamford? Is it going to be for the whole season? Or, you know, if it's only three or four episodes, I think, you know, I think it'll work just fine. But, uh, yeah, if it's the whole season, yeah, maybe it'll run into some problems. Because I just, I, I mean, to be really honest, and, and this is just an initial reaction after seeing one episode, so, you know, I could be eating my words next week, but I don't want to see them in these different offices uh, for the whole season, you know? that's To me, that's even worse than them mooning at each other from across their desks. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like we have all this all this space that still could be developed and and yet we're still expanding. So I'm hoping like, and like Greg Daniels said, you know, and we've seen from the DVD, there are so many extra minutes that are filmed that don't ever make it on the air that they can pick and choose a lot of times and, and, and decide, you know, only the great A++ material makes the cut. You know, they can I can put the A minus stuff on the internet. Right. And I, I understand what he's talking about. Like, the writers shouldn't feel forced, like, oh, well, we haven't done Meredith in a while. We have to write about Meredith. But on the other hand, you know, I, I, I do want to see the backstory on, on some of those characters. So hopefully we'll get that a little bit. Now, it's, since we're talking about deleted scenes, uh, let me play this clip from the deleted scenes that were posted. This is about two minutes long. And then we'll come back and talk about this. So let's, uh, let's take a listen. I will do my job to the best of my abilities. Heaven help us. Specifically? I will do my regional manager job to the best of my capabilities. Specifically, Michael? Specifically, Jan, I will make at least ten phone calls to clients. Yes, I have to begin every day by letting Jan know what I intend to accomplish, and then I have to call her at the end of the day to tell her what I did accomplish. But it's not mandatory. It's something that I wanted to do, and so it's voluntary, really, even though she makes me. I think she just wants to hear my voice because we're no longer lovers, and she's just hurting. But things are going well with Carol. I've seen her seven times in the last three months, and I'm growing very fond of her kids, Tommy, who I call Tomas, and the little girl. Are you on the toilet, Michael? No. Well, I know sometimes you are, and that you wouldn't tell me, so I'm just going to assume that you are, and call me back when you're finished. Okay. Hi, honey. You holding up? Yep. Yeah. I'm painting my new apartment tonight. Oh, good. By yourself? Yeah. Oh. Well, hang in there. Okay. You know what? You should get one of those big body pillows. That way you wouldn't miss you know who so much. Thanks. Roy. Right. Yeah. What do I think? I think everybody should just stay out of everybody's personal business. Yes, I'm gay. Why are all the best-looking single men always gay? Hey, Big Tuna. You ever Google Google? What do you think would happen? Let's find out. 
Huh. Lots of results. I, I didn't mean you should do it. You were supposed to ponder it. Uh, you removed the fun. Thanks a lot, Big Tuna. <laughs> so there you go. Um, there was our one Meredith line from the show. Ended up in the deleted. That was a great line. And yeah, I know you're fond of that one. Um, let's break that down. I mean, that's the, and this is kind of what kills me about this show is that there is so much material. That stuff that that was in the deleted scenes. That to me, that was stuff I wanted to see in the episode. Um, I wanted to know what happened with Michael and Jan and Carol, yeah. and I wanted to know about, um, you know, what else was going on with Pam. And those other different things. So, you know, but then you asked me before, you know, right? Like, what do you cut out? to make space right for that stuff i i don't know i just so clearly the solution is to make each episode 35 to 40 minutes right <laughs> or 30 minutes right well they had the uh that was like from last year they had the supersized finale that was uh 40 minutes which actually only was still like 28 minutes of running time so i don't think that we're going to see that especially with uh the way that the ratings have been going but we can only hope. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just think it's kind of fun. I, kind of funny how <laughs> Andy again. That scene just kind of shows what a tool that he is. He's kind of one of those office guys that thinks he's clever. Um, you know. Yeah, and just hates it when somebody bursts his balloon on that. <laughs> You're supposed to ponder it, Big Tuna. <laughs> take all the fun. Yeah, nothing's worse than when somebody doesn't won't go along with a joke. You know. <laughs> That's pretty much how I am, though, with Jim. Uh, like Jim, you know, somebody wants me to play along. I, my natural inclination is just to say no. <laughs> well, like we were saying, we were talking about it before. I, I would have done the same thing. I would have Googled Google right there in front of him. Well, why are we Why are we even talking about it? Let's do it. Yeah, so that was, uh, again, pretty pretty good insightful scenes with, uh, with the deleted stuff. Well, I hope they keep doing that. I mean, that's kind of like the... Uh, just like the extra push, like for the people who really care, the diehard fans, you know, it's like the DVD extras to each episode, you know. Yeah, they've been doing that pretty well. I think they've been doing that since last year too, but I, I don't know if they did it for every episode. Um, if you haven't bought the DVD for the second season yet, though, I got to say that's one of the highlights is to be able to see a full two and a half hours of the deleted scenes included on there in uh, DVD quality video. Well, Ian, we've been talking quite a while, and we still have not even gotten to the main plot of the episode. Ah, yes. Um, Let's uh, kick that in with uh, Michael and Toby here. No, that is the fun of this place. I call everybody faggy. Why would anyone find that offensive? Okay, I think I sort of just like if he's lame or something like that. That's what faggy means. No, not really. Apparently, you called Oscar faggy. Yeah. For, like, the movie Shakespeare in Love more than an action movie. It wasn't just an action movie. It was Die Hard. All right, all right Michael, but Oscar's really gay. Exactly. I mean, for real. Yeah, I know. No, he's attracted you... to other men. Okay, a little too far. Cross the line. Okay, I am telling you, Oscar is an actual homosexual. Yeah, he told me this morning. And, obviously, he hopes he can count on your discretion. See, that's where they made their first mistake, then, counting on Michael's discretion. Uh, as we found <laughs> out last season, well, last season we had a whole episode called The Secret, where basically Jim kind of told Michael about him, his crush on Pam, and right. you know, the whole episode was him then just telling everyone about it, even though he was told not to. So basically, you know, yeah, Michael's the go-to guy when you have something secretive to keep under wraps. Um, we did see last season, too, in... Uh, 
in the episode where they're doing the spring cleaning that Oscar was gay. So we knew that already last season. Mm-hmm. It didn't come out until right now. But um, part of the, obviously part of the humor with this episode was that it's a very touchy subject, very uncomfortable. It's a very uh, politically correct kind of subject. And hence we have a lot of conflict, a lot of problems, a lot of squirming, a lot of Michael looking like an idiot. It did really seem to cover everything that there is in this debate when it comes to just the general culture, you know, the, the you know, who being ignorant about homosexuality, um, uh, you know, the prejudice, the, the even just like the snickering about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, the, this is uh, and this is again, this is Michael's justification then here for for why he called Oscar faggy. I would have never called him that if I knew. You don't you don't call retarded people retards. It's bad taste. You call your friends retards when they're acting retarded. And I consider Oscar a friend. So there you go. I mean, how many of like how many people do we know that are are like that? That I'm gonna say I'm so guilty of that. I, yeah. Um, uh, I am. But too. it's the quintessential Michael, you know, that he thinks, you know, he thinks something's okay or or funny, and just is completely clueless about, you know, whether or not it it might offend people. And you know, and it also creates the debate about, you know, what's politically correct, you know, why is it bad to say certain things? Yeah, def- I mean, he's, uh, that's just, you know, like how a lot of people are uh, that I know personally, you know, I use that word too a lot. And, and when where I grew up, you know, literally that was the word that you used to mean lame as right. well. So a We're lot of people... talking about gay, by the way. Right. A lot of people here have to... You know, as you grow up, and and even now as a teacher, I have to constantly be trying to correct my kids from from using that. that You've word. never hauled off and called one of your kids a retard, you mean? <laughs> oh man, no, I haven't. I have not done that, <laughs> and that's the problem is that we have so many special ed kids in our classes now that Ooh, if I did that, right. I would probably be sued. So, as much as I would like to, sometimes I just I can't, and I, I a lot of times I'm in that same position with Michael walking through that minefield, you know, what can you say? What can't you say? But you know what? This is another thing here. Let me play this clip because this again shows just, it's kind of funny in 30 seconds. It shows that Dwight is completely ignorant. And yet it also shows that Dwight is very much of a genius. So let's take a listen to his, his uh, comments here. Can you tell who's gay and who's not? Of course. What about Oscar? Absolutely not. Well, he is. Well, he's not dressed in women's clothes, so... <sighs> there could be others. I need to know. I don't want to offend anybody else. You could assume everyone is and not say anything offensive. Yeah. I'm sure everyone would appreciate me treating them like they were gay. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> for for Dwight, a gay, being a gay man means someone that wears women's clothes. Right, and uh, automatically uh, engaging in uh, pornographic acts later on. <laughs> and so then we also, but then he comes up with something, you know, what can't you, how about if you just assume everyone is and not say anything offensive, to which Michael but, is just abashedly shocked. So, like I said, clueless yet somehow. Out very... of the mouths of tools come great wisdom, <laughs> I guess, sometimes. And, uh,. And you know, and, and we got to be honest that Michael, as stupid and, and kind of backwards and idiotic as he is, he, like always, he is actually trying his best to, to solve things or to help people or to to get things settled 
And uh, this is one of my favorite lines from this whole episode right here. We're all homos. Homo sapiens. I mean, it's just like pure. It's so freaking cornball <laughs> and so ridiculous, you know, that he... But it's just something that he would say, and it's like something that you would expect him to say. Mm-hmm. And he's not saying it to be stupid or silly. He's, you know, from the bottom of his heart, he thinks that's great, you know, a great tagline for the cameras. But we did see something later in the episode, uh, going back to what you're saying about, um, you know, Michael at least trying hard to do uh, the right thing, whether he does, whether or not he understands why it's the right thing or not. Uh, when, you know, Oscar snaps at him and then realizes, you know, that yeah, that's, know, he that insulted was, him. He that was a real him. tough scene. Let, let, let's take a listen to that here. You ready? What are you doing? I am going to embrace Oscar. You might want to watch this, Angela, because you can't catch anything. Here we go. No. We are going to make a statement. You and I are going to make a statement together. Oscar is my friend. I'd rather not. And I just don't care who sees it. It doesn't bother me. Really, w- w- I'd really rather not. Come here, I'd friend. Really rather not. You're my friend. Oh, no, no! I don't want to touch you. Ever considered that? You're ignorant and insulting and small. Okay, man. And that's like, that is so dark. <laughs> that's a freer Emmy consideration. Exactly. Um, that scene is just, I mean, that was just just so cutting and so painful. And the thing is that that um, Steve Carell just plays it so well. Like, we've seen this before. We've seen this happen before. And it's kind of funny that Michael has this way of pushing everyone to the limit and just pissing them off and yet making them feel sorry for him in the end, you know? Because immediately after that incident, we have Oscar, who is obviously the bigger and the better man, apologizing and Michael's reaction is just I mean again I I guess you could laugh at this but to me when I was watching this like this is just hard I mean this is really hard let's take a listen to what 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 happens after that that was a good idea come on come on I know I know you are you're a good guy me too so I mean geez man he's crying (laughs) I don't know am I supposed to laugh at Michael crying I don't know I I I was crying um, or laughing. Sorry. And, <laughs> uh, I th- yeah, I just think we. Were, I mean, he was you know somebody who builds himself up as the big boss man was just absolutely belittled and cut off at the knees in front of his entire staff. Um, well, this goes back to last season too. Again, we had a very similar scene where uh, Michael on the bring your daughters to work day, Michael had Ryan go to his mom's house and get this videotape of when he was on this children's show called Fundle Bundle. And uh, they played this clip, and it was just like this most, the most heartbreaking thing that we ever saw, which was young Michael, like, I don't know, 8 or 9 or 10 years old or something on there, telling a, a cat puppet that his dream, like his dream in life was to have uh, 100 kids, you know, to be a daddy and have 100 kids because then then they would have to be his friends and play with them. <laughs> and like it was so like sad and depressing and just like oh man, it's very similar, very similar in feel and moment, you know, to this kind of thing. And you know, again, earlier even than that when we had uh, the email surveillance episode where Jim doesn't invite Michael to his party and and Michael shows up and then everyone you know, like no one will sing karaoke with him. So he picks a duet and he's up there singing, you know, by himself, a duet. <laughs> And no one will come. No one will come to sing with him. And then 
Jim feels sorry for him and comes up and, and, and joins in. With well, that's him. kind of the base thing about Michael's character, isn't it? I mean, he just wants to be liked more than anything. Pretty much, yeah. That's his big, you know, his thing is as a boss, you know, he's, he has it in his mind that a boss, you know, should be friends with everyone in his office, which always leads him to problems. And you notice I mean, during the whole uh, gay debate in the office, the, the one time where, you know, Michael's clueless the whole time, but the one time where he seems to kind of rise to action is when anyone thinks he's gay. You know, like when Phyllis says, you know, well, everyone thought you were gay in high school or <laughs> yeah. uh, in Michael's office when Jan says, you know, well, what if you were gay? Uh, you know, those that, that kind of brings out the uh, worst impulses, I guess. Well, again, that's going along with the using the word gay to mean lame and that kind of thing. I mean, a lot of people, I think, are like that. A lot of guys in our society are, are very much like that, where, you know, on the surface, they might say, oh, I, I tolerate it or, you know, I'm cool, you know, whatever you do. But if you question them, you know, you question their sexuality, it's like hyper defense. Right. Uh, you know, he's not going to, and I like the line with him, you know, oh, you, Jay, you should know better than anyone that I'm not gay. <laughs> Just digging himself deeper. And he, of course, looks at the camera while he says it, too. So <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what his problem is, but, oh, man. Um, but that, and then also that leads into the final scene, which is, again, more disturbing than not. So let's take a look at uh, Michael's final in his mind, him overcoming his homophobia. You know what? I'm going to raise the stakes. You don't... Please don't. I want you to watch this, and I want you to burn this into your brains. <sighs> because this is an image... Man, I want you people to remember for a long time to come. Whenever you come into the office, I want you to think about this. We don't need to. Yes, we do. What? <clears throat> ah! Oh! I hit it. Thank you. See, I'm still here. We're all still here. Man, that, that just makes me laugh from the stupid sound effects of him. Like, he has his <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got his lips like pursed together. Like, so there's n no possibility of any open mouth contact. It's like he's leaning in, making these grunts, and Oscar's trying to get away, and then Oscar's just wincing away. Yet he he doesn't want to completely pull away. And, so and gives like the corner of his mouth. And, and then as soon as, like, Michael plants one on his lip, then he's just like, I did it! <laughs> like, he's so proud of himself that he did this, hor like, horrible thing, you know, like, he's just done some fear factor challenge or something, you know? Oh, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Like I said, I've never laughed harder at two men kissing. Oh, uh, that was just, you know, it, it, it kind of just, it was, it was like a great exhale, too. Maybe that's why I, another reason it just felt so funny, because, like you said, everything leading up to it was relatively... Uh, dark and you know almost a very special episode sort of feel to it, <laughs> and then uh, and then you had just you know the utter absurdity of Michael going in for a kiss and oh and then of course <laughs> you have and then you have Dwight and as soon as well that was again that's what killed me about uh, about the show <laughs> when that when Michael kind of broke down and even right before they they kissed we got uh, because Michael hugged him we had Dwight. Uh, coming to this conclusion. Michael appears to be gay, too. And yet he is my friend. I guess I do have a gay friend. <laughs> Which leads into then when, when Michael kisses, and then Dwight, of course, stands up and, and goes in for the kiss. 
<laughs> which is like, uh, you know, I don't know That's what such is a Dwight thing to do, though. You know, like show, uh, you know, just to show he's a team player or you know the number one employee or whatever. <laughs> well, if you know, Michael if did it, gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. He could do it too. So yeah, that uh, I don't know that that ending scene was probably you know the, the highlight of the episode definitely. Um, well. I wanted to wrap it up too. The last thing that they had in the show was, you know, Michael, after having gone through this and after, you know, doing the kiss and everything, getting back to his office, we got one, one more little speech from him, which just kind of killed me because it was overplayed. His words are being overplayed with, uh, videos of Jim, uh, alone sitting by himself in the meeting with the empty chair with Pam looking sad and forlorn and everything. And, you know, as, as, again, like with Dwight before, sometimes Michael can really hit the nail on the head. We are not in the playground anymore. There are new roles. We have to be mature, but we can't lose the spirit of childlike wonder. What is love, anyway? Maybe it's supposed to break all the rules, like me and Jan or Oscar and some guy. Life is short. When two people find each other, what should stand in their way? Isn't that the truth? Amen. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I thought that was, again, just a little bit of a throwback to the first season where we had Mr. Brown coming into the, the Stanford office to give his same exact Diversity Day speech that he delivered way back in episode two of season one. Uh, same stuff, same acronym, same same everything, except only this time Jim is there by himself with no one to talk to. So, I mean, how lo- how much longer can we have Jim and Pam sitting there looking forlornly at empty chairs, man? <sighs> Hopefully no more than four or five episodes. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's going to get a little old pretty fast uh, if, if it doesn't get resolved. And... Let's just then wrap it up by talking about the the final final scene, the outro of the episode, which was too perfect. <laughs> Again, we had that theme of decide, you know, despite the fact that Jim always always lies to Dwight, he always tells Dwight stuff that's not true. They still believe him when he says that uh, you can buy a gaydar from the sharper image. And Jim then at the end, the outro scene, you know, they Dwight opens the package from Jim. With, with, which contains a, a metal detector, which has been labeled a gaydar device. With, yeah, it had what the the homo, hetero, and then bi in the middle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so Dwight is of course impressed and runs off to go try it on Oscar. And being a metal detector, he waves it in Oscar's genital region and picks up his belt buckle or whatever it is and gets a beep, gets a result. And unfortunately, then, as he's walking away, he tries it on himself and gets the same result, which pretty much blows his mind. So I don't know what else we oh, can sorry. say about that. <laughs> play the clip. I'm sorry. No, I don't know what else we could say about that. No, his reaction was perfect. That just that dread that, oh, no, you know, what does this mean? <laughs> uh, so a great way to end the episode. And, you know, like I said, uh, I, I still I'm not gonna rank this up there with the best of the episodes uh, of the show so far. I still think the Dundies last year was a, a a much better overall season premiere episode. But uh, you know there's there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of different plot threads, a, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, 
Final thoughts? I'm just I'm glad they got the uh, Jim and Pam thing out of the way. You know, NBC's ad campaign during the summer uh, horrified me. I don't know about you. You know, like <laughs> that, that, that small music. little music in the background. Yeah, it just has a very special, you know, <laughs> yeah. a, our Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt going to stay together sort of feel to it. You well, know? if you want to, if you if you really want to get that same kind of gross out feel, you can listen to the NBC's two minute update because it's just like even worse. It's got all this crazy little wonderful, lovely music in the background. And oh, yeah, it's, Greg it's, Daniel <laughs> should get somebody on the phone. I mean, <laughs> well, those are terrible. Well, let's face it. Like I said, as much as we love this show in the time slot that it's at, the ratings are pretty much very bad compared to the other competition for this. Season. Commercials aren't helping. Well, the, that they think it is trying to help. And, and definitely it seemed to me a very distinct play to get like um, female viewers or to get a certain kind of people attracted to the show that generally weren't watching it before. No, that's definitely true. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, part of me didn't mind it, uh, but part of me thought it was, af- you know, after the 57th airing of that promo, it really kind of started to annoy me. But, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't look too good for the ratings for this year, and uh, I'll go into that more in the news section later. But um, we can only hope for the best. And on that note, uh, Ian, thanks for joining me here in the office. Oh, thank you. I will go back to my uh, corner desk now. Yeah, I've got some cold calls for you to make here. So uh, oh, yeah. you know, oh, I see that stack of paper, too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do. Junior sales associate, people. Exactly. And uh, have a good day. I'll see you later. Thanks, Matt. Yep. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just a fax. Oh, yeah, this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? You have to. Call the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Did we get a fax this morning? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the one. Why oh, didn't, uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. So over to the news desk for this week. Um, well, news not so good with the ratings for the first premiere episode on Thursday. Um, this is a really bad year for competition, to tell you the truth. On Thursday night, Survivor took the top spot from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Uh, Grey's Anatomy Clip Show actually took second place. And NBC was third with Earl and The Office, bringing in about 9 million viewers compared to Grey Anatomy's 15 and Survivor's 16 million viewers. So, man, we got to get out there. we got to spread the word. Um, hopefully, you know, obviously we'll last through the whole season, but other than that, it's up in the air. Uh, next, from Greg Daniels' blog, posting after the premiere episode over on NBC.com, a little, a few little tidbits of information about the show coming up. Uh, next week's episode, we are going to see Michael and Dwight on a trip to a paper industry convention in Philadelphia, where they'll interact with Jim and the Stanford manager. Uh, Michael has some issues with Jim leaving, and Jim is trying to get news on certain individuals who work in Scranton. And Pam goes on a date with someone new. That's quite shocking information. Uh, other tidbits of information I've gotten from that episode is that uh, Michael at the conference is trying to organize some kind of big party in his hotel room. Um, so it seems to fit in quite well with his personality. Uh, also this week, uh, Daniel said that they are beginning to shoot the Christmas episode on Monday. 
and he's really excited that Harold Ramis is directing it. Um, so apparently, whether you know it's good news or bad, Harold Ramis, a genius I've loved in the past. Unfortunately, his, his most recent work hasn't necessarily been the uh, been the best of his career. So hopefully, the Christmas episode this year again will be something special like it was last year. Uh, this comes from Empire Online and about a million other places, but John Krasinski has written a script based on David Foster Wallace's book, Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Uh, this is a collection of short stories featuring fictional interviews with various men on the subject of romance and the fairer sex. The movie is to begin shooting supposedly in November in various locations around the Northeast United States. Uh, I don't know how many people are going to be interested in this, but... Um, NBC Universal and iPlay, the mobile entertainment company, recently announced a new on-demand video offering that brings the most memorable scenes from the Emmy Award-winning comedy series *The Office* to your mobile phone. Um, you know, am I going to pay two dollars to watch a thirty-second clip of Dwight doing something crazy? Well, not me, but maybe someone else will. And um, NBC sees it as a way to expand the brand and put the office name out there and make it more available. So, hey, whatever whatever increases um, you know, the audience, I'm all for that. A few other uh, show appearance wrap-ups from last week. Uh, Rain Wilson was on the Ellen DeGeneres show last week on Tuesday. And I'm not a big Ellen watcher, so I don't know if her shows are always like this. But um, basically, it was a whole lot of nothing. Didn't learn too much about uh Rain didn't learn too much about the show. Uh, we got a brief clip from the conference episode for next week uh, with Dwight and Angela talking to each other about Dwight going on the conference and Angela being quite upset. Other than that, um, well, whether this is true or not, we found out that Rain likes to collect uh, thrift store art, that his wife and and he went to, on a trip to Hawaii over the summer, and that uh, he plays the bassoon possibly. I don't know if that was comedy or truth, but uh, insight into the man there. He also talked about how he, uh, like Brad Pitt, derives his acting skills based on his hairstyle, and he showed us a nice little transformation from lovely rain into dorky Dwight with a little bit of water applied to his forelocks. Uh, John Krasinski was on Conan O'Brien on Thursday night, and John is a great guy. You know, on The Office, he often has to play such a subdued kind of character in Jim Halpert, and it was kind of fun to see him just go a little nuts on uh, on Conan. Uh, he came out doing a nice little rendition of The Running Man for the crowd, and, uh, you know, it was very funny, very personable. A uh, few other little tidbits that, that he gave us. Um, talked about that his big dream was to open a Dunkin' Donuts in L.A., which... Apparently is, you know, all the Boston East Coast people are just desperate for their Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Um, I don't know. I guess I have to go check it out. I've never really appreciated the Dunkin' Donuts franchise here in Wisconsin, but uh, I guess I'm missing something. Other than that, uh, just, you know, talking about the show, talking about that he was uh, an intern. He got to start as, as an intern on the Conan show back in the day. And it was his first break into the show business, as they say. You know, it was really funny, really hilarious. Uh, my friend Ian that we just talked to before sent me the link to uh, to find this on YouTube. So go ahead and search for that if you missed it. it uh, it's well worth seeking out. 
Steve Carell was also on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno on Wednesday night. Uh, going over a few things, talking about what he's been doing for the summer, uh, filming the movie Evan Almighty. Uh, he talked about how he was almost killed by a baboon for uh, taking his lemonade. Um, <laughs> Jay Leno asked him if that uh, during his role as the gay Proust scholar in Little Miss Sunshine, if he read a lot of Proust, and Steve quipped back, no, but I slept with a lot of men. Thank you. He also <laughs> talked about the fact that his daughter was recently obsessed with Hello Kitty, that his parents were not fans of his character on the show, and uh, <laughs> when Leno asked him what was going to happen on the premiere episode, he said that uh, it was going to open with Jim and Pam being married, uh, having a 10-year-old daughter, and that they didn't explain how the daughter got there, where the daughter came from, but... Uh, she was played by Dakota Fanning, and she was just fabulous. Well, that would have been an interesting side point to see if uh, how that would have turned out for the show. But um, other than that, not really a whole lot of other news this week. No uh, scheduled guest appearances next week. I guess we're uh, we blew our wad so far the premiere week. So uh, nothing on tap for that. And let's head on over to the iPod segment. Whoa. Video iPod. I gave Ryan an iPod. Have I know this Russian website where you can download songs for two cents a piece. I'll take the iPod. iPod. Everyone wants the iPod. This is awesome. I know. It's totally going to change the way I work out. The iPod. Maybe I should have taken the iPod. I want the iPod. Oh, shoot. Well, since it's technically still the same week as our premiere beta episode, 0.5, we are going to kick things off today with another song from the Fire Apes called It's Over. I feel so down, I can't help realize I feel the tears I felt behind your eyes You hoped you last, but still you never
There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. Well, I don't have a lot of time this week. We're in a little bit long. I like to keep the show so under an hour, but uh, I do still want to give a shout-out to all those people who left comments and sent me emails so far uh, this week on the first episode. So big shout-out to uh, Martin Sang, David Price, Derek Coward, Roland Sonneville, Matt Kramer, Jacob on the blog, and Dan from the blog page. Thanks for your comments, guys. Also, thanks for everyone who left me positive reviews on iTunes. And to the uh, anonymous coward who left me that one star, you suck, your boring review, well, none of us is perfect. Well, that's about going to do it for us for this week, folks. Join me next week around this same time for episode two. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at thatswhatshesaid.libsyn.com. Music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And I think I'll let Michael have the last word for this episode. I'm glad if today spurred social change. That's part of my job as regional manager. But you know what? Even if it didn't, at least we put this matter to bed. That's what she said. Or he said. <laughs>